Welcome to That's My Niche. This podcast is on the hunt for professions across all disciplines to get a glimpse into the world's mindsets and passions of successful people. I'm your host, Nina Dorfer. Sit back and enjoy listening with me. Last episode was only the warm-up for this absolute nugget of podcasting gold this week that you're about to tune in. If there was one thing that we're all most likely worried about is the future. Be it the future of our professional careers, our relationships, the future of our children, our businesses and the state of our planet in general. So what is better than turning to somebody whose business is the future? Cécile Poignot is a Paris-based trend forecaster who has worked in the industry since she was a young university graduate and has advised brands that range from soaps to sports with her conceptual approach of analyzing long-term trends. My dear friend Dorothea sat down with Cécile here in Paris to find out the depths of her profession. Hey, Dorothea, how was the interview with Cecile? Hello, Nina. First of all, thanks for the opportunity to be part of your podcast, That's My Niche. I had a blast talking to Cecile about her interesting career path in the creative world. She introduced me to the concept of serendipity and embracing things that haven't been foreseen. She stresses the importance to keep curiosity alive throughout childhood and adulthood. And she explains that long-lasting trends are about connecting with your own values and the search for timelessness. Furthermore, we discussed the necessary steps for people, governments and states to help our planet to continue to blossom. This wonderful episode encourages to trust in your gut feeling and to sometimes take time to observe the world in order to understand the big picture. Hello, Cecile. Thanks a lot uh, for taking the time uh, to uh, talk with me uh, on the podcast. Uh, that's my niche, um, curated by my friend uh, Nina Dorfer. Um, let's get right into the topic. And the big question is, what's your niche? So my niche is trend forecasting. Uh, so my niche is to um, see the weak signals uh, that are uh, signs of the future, uh, to gather them and then to help companies, big or small, to be more prepared for what's going to happen in the future. Can you tell me a little bit, uh, that's very accurate and a very particular kind of profession that maybe hasn't been there before. Can you tell me a little bit about your professional career, how you got there, uh, how you define that that's your niche, that that's a job? 
uh, give a little bit inside of that. Oh, so that was really uh, by serendipity. Um, I, I kind of like very much the whole idea of serendipity, which is to find something you were not looking for. So uh, I had been doing, uh, that's a, uh, quite a long time ago because I'm, I'm 58 years old, but I was doing um, uh, art uh, studies and then fashion study, but I never wanted to be a stylist because I thought so many people were talented and I didn't have that much to add. Uh, but I was doing some kind of small jobs, you know, student job to get some money. And one of the job was uh, to write for a friend that had at that time, it was a paper magazine, a small magazine for professional people working in home decoration. And she asked me to go to a professional fair uh, to be able to see uh, the fair and to make a kind of uh, compte rendu, you know, of the fair. And so I said yes, because um, very often when there is something that I don't know, I'm always... Uh, very happy to be curious about it and to discover. So I went to the fair and in the middle of the fair, there was a very small trend forum. And at that time, it was slides, you know, that was very old school, you know, and I was like, wow, it was like a kind of epiphany, you know, because I was discovering that something I was doing by my own for many years, connecting the dots, trying to understand the patterns, trying to explain things. It, uh, it was done by other people. It was a kind of job. And I thought, okay, so this is existing. This is a job. I could do it. I could make money with it. That could be my job. So it was really by serendipity. How was the feeling when you realized, I guess it's so difficult for somebody trying to find a niche and trying to find themselves professionally um, to finally find somebody, a group of people who understands, who uh, doesn't think you're crazy maybe. How was the feeling back then? It was a relief. It was like, wow, so it's existing. I'm not the only one. Uh, and, and yeah, it, it was such a good surprise. You know, I was like, uh, and I had been student for many years and not anyone, even in my fashion school, spoke to me about the whole idea and the whole concept of trend forecasting. You know, it was at that time, it was not super trendy, not like now. Uh, I mean, you, you, you open a show or you open a magazine or you open a website and you have the, the five new trends, the three trends that you need to follow whatsoever. But at that time, it was, that was more than um, 35 years ago, something like that. So, I mean, it was really the early days. So, but it was a relief. I was so happy. But so how was it for uh, somebody who's not so aware about the time uh, 35 years ago? Like now we talk about trends all the time, trend, trend, trend. But how was it back then? How was it declared? Because there must have been uh, tensions, like uh, the, the people were going, there were trends in a way. Um, they just weren't declared as them. How was it? Yes, they were declared. I mean, um, trend forecasting is uh, trend is is not a new phenomenon. They, like you said, there had been always trend. Even if you go back to history, when there was no Instagram or whatsoever, there was already people that were influencing the trends. I mean, you had kings and queens, or you had another kind of celebrities. It was not the same, but you had famous people that were somehow. Uh, 
able to start a trend. And I mean, a trend, in a way, it's just a kind of directions. Uh, in, and people are going in that direction. And if many people are going in the same direction, then it starts to be somehow a big trend. So uh, trends are not new. What is a bit more new is what I do as a job, which is trend forecasting. And it start to be a job, I would say, around the end of the 50s. Um, at the time, it started in France. Uh, France was a, a country that was uh, very much um, important for fashion. But also, at that time, uh, in France, you had a lot of textile industry, especially in the north of the country. And at that time, it was the beginning also of Prêt-à-Porter, ready to wear. And we, we had a middle class that was willing for new things, more original, with more style and so on. So the beginning of trend forecasting uh, happened in the north of France with people doing textile. And they saw that it could be very interesting for them to know what is going to be trendy so that they can produce like, uh, I don't know, two-tone stripes or small flowers prints if that was the trend. So it started like that. So when I started to work uh, in the trend forecasting business, uh, it was in the 80s, uh, 90s of the last century. So, I mean, it was already a job that was existing for 30 years, but it was not very well known from the general public. I would say it was really for specialists that uh, only them knew that they were trend officers. Now, uh, more people know what is a trend forecasting uh, office and what is doing a trend forecaster. At that time, I didn't even mention the job I was doing. It was too difficult to explain. So how did you explain? Because when you say you didn't even... Uh, <laughs> have, when somebody so what's your job? What do you do? What did you I say? I was lying. <laughs> what did you say? Really? <laughs> yeah, it what was... What did it, you say? <laughs> I, was, I was saying that I was a stylist. Ah. It was too difficult to explain. I mean, the whole uh, idea of trend forecasting, especially if after a while I was explaining that I was not only working in the fashion business, but I was also also doing trend forecasting for people doing soaps or people doing cars or people doing uh, home decoration or people doing watches. It was too difficult. So I, I must say, uh, I confess, I was lying. <laughs> you were lying. So you didn't have the, the troubles to explain and to... At, because people just didn't understand. But now I guess it's it's different. Since yeah. now it's a, more of a topic. People are more aware also with social media people understand uh, the process more. Yeah, people do understand the process more. And I must say that I'm not lying anymore. That's done. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's true that uh, people understand the whole concept of trends and the idea of trend forecasting. But what uh, the misunderstanding is uh, always very much about uh, the uh, duration of trends. So for many people, they imagine trends like uh, fades. So they imagine like uh, what the new um, uh, color you need to wear next winter or next summer, uh, what is the new eat bag, uh, what is the new perfume. So for most of people, trends are things that are fading away very quickly. And uh, very often I need to explain that, yes, this is short-term trends, but you also have long-term trends that might Uh, last for 10, 20, even 30 years that are evolving and that those trends are the ones that are not just like so bubble, you know, shining, bright and, and not lasting. But the long-term trends are things that are really 
very important for us human beings, very uh, deep to our heart, like a part of our um, way of being. So connection with nature, uh, sharing things with other people, uh, being aware of your own uh, potential and power, things like that that are really part of the way we live uh, are really uh, speaking um, and translated in long-term trends. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So um, what I'm always wondering when we go back to the short term trend, um, we work with several industries, like very different uh, types, very different um, fields. Um, when you work in design, you always aim, obviously you would like to, that it's sold in the end, but you also aim always for uniqueness. So how do you balance the the, the How do you find the balance between, okay, that's trend that will sell because in the end it's an industry, you also want to sell your, your product, um, but still have this uniqueness that makes you different and is not just a, a trend? You mean as a brand? Yeah, or uh, product uh, or, you know, like you always try to find a balance between those two, I guess. Yeah, but I think the idea of having trends that are changing very quickly is for me something from the past. So the idea that uh, you need green and then next winter you need blue and you throw away all the green and then uh, next summer you need red and you throw away all the yellow. I think this is really from the past. And I think this is what a part of the industry has been uh, trying to do with everything that is called fast. So fast food, fast fashion, fast travel. And I think that uh, and that rhythm that, of course, bring cash flow for the industry, but that is destroying the planet is something from the past. So the way that I advise the company I'm working with is that I advise them to be more timeless, to be more connected to their own value, to be more connected with sustainability, to be more connected with products that are made for lasting. And, and so my advice is really more to... Um, Uh, be concerned by uh, maybe a, a, a much more slower time, maybe a reduction of um, references, maybe less color, but um, uh, chosen with more care, you know? So, and I think the uniqueness, you find it also uh, when you really connect the DNA of the brand uh, with the products and with the deep needs of, um, of us human beings. So I think... For me, the evolution of trend forecasting today is not to give the latest uh, short-term trends. It's more to open the mind uh, of people to what we need to do, the changes that we need to bring in our way of producing uh, um, products, the way we need to take care of recycling, the way we need to take just care of asking us why. Why do we do this product? Is it necessary? What does it bring to people? And And I think we need to be more um, focused really on um, yeah, that globality and the fact that um, we cannot anymore uh, uh, go on with producing for producing, selling for selling. We need really to step back, we need to think and we need to, to have the... Um, the big picture, you know, and what we are doing to the planet. Definitely. And I guess, I mean, the industry also always uh, replies to the demand of the consumer anyways. And um, so it's like now you really see that consumers, they are aware, they demand more transparency, they demand more uh, depth 
in a brand in order to buy the product. So just selling a product is not enough anymore if there's not a story behind or if it doesn't correspond with their values, I guess. Yeah, I think it's very much also about honesty. And I think, um, so I, I, I'm not saying that uh, um, uh, all shops of fashion are going to close tomorrow. It's not going to happen like that. But what we see is that more and more young people, and it's always, I mean, the changes are always coming with the youth. Because the youth is coming, uh, they are looking around them, what's happening, how things are done. They sit down and they say, it doesn't work. We need to change it all. And this is what they are doing now. So it means that you have more and more young people that are not willing to buy new clothes. They prefer to buy vintage ones. So they go to Friperie or they buy them on Vinted or whatsoever. But it means that there is a change because it means that uh, some of those young people are not entering uh, in H&M or Zara like, okay, what's new this week, you know, and that they're going to, to get a few T-shirts or a few dress for a couple of uh, euros you know so i think the, the 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 changes are coming even if if it takes time and so brands if they want to stay they need to be not only transparent but they need to be honest so they need to be focused on um what they do what they say and do what they say and and say what they do you know so some brands are really good at that like i don't know patagonia or veja um yeah some brands are really very involved and you know what they are doing you know how they are doing uh but for many brands they need really to to change the way they are uh, doing acting producing selling speaking storytelling and whatsoever Definitely. And I guess the big challenge is, I guess a company that starts now new or like started a while ago already had this mindset. The big difficulty is a company that l exists since years and uh, needs to change now. Yeah, and, and, and I always say that it's a bit provocative, but it's also a reality. Maybe not all those big companies need to be alive in the 10 years from now. You know, it's like uh, dinosaurs. There is a time for things and then it's not time anymore. And the, the bigger you are, the more difficult, I guess, it's, it's, uh, um, it's become to adapt yourself because you have a way of doing things like, oh, we've done always things like that. So let's go on like that. You know, we all know the um, what Kodak, you know, this is, uh, uh, I mean, a lot of people in business school are, are learning that the Kodak case, the fact that they knew about digital digital photo, but they thought it was not for them or it was not so important. So in fact, um, the brand is uh, was very important when I was young and it's not completely dead, but it's not very strong as it could have been. So they could have done Instagram, you know, for instance. True. Right. So I think maybe around all the brands that are there now and that are big, uh, some might be able to pivot, but maybe some are just going to disappear because they're not going to be able. And like you said, The young brands, the brands that are uh, just on the market for a couple of years, they started to do that with a specific mindset. So for them, they are more agile. They are already um, adapting um, their products, production, and so on to what's happening. Hmm, definitely. So do you think uh, when we look to the future and the job market in a way, um, like we said before, sustainability and the purpose of brands and individuals is more becomes more and more important, you think that there will be big changes, there will be more room for niches maybe? 
Yeah, I think so. I, I think uh, somehow my, my deep wishes is that we we will move from a um, how would I call it a kind of deep industry? You know what we have been seeing for years is the idea of one size fit all. Is the idea that okay we just do small, medium, and large, and if we can, we just do medium, which is going to be too small for the large and too big for the small. But let's try to do it like that. Like we do one flavor, um, like Coke, like Ants tomato ketchup, you know, like um, I'm in mean McDonald's or Starbucks. Let's try to do one thing and sell it all over the world, and. My my dream uh, would be that those kind of huge industry are going to be uh, in the future not um, relevant enough, that it's not going to be um, enough in connection with the community, not enough in connection with what's happening on a local point of view, that those kind of global huge one size fit all um, are maybe going to have a hard time and that um, maybe more and more smaller company are going to be able to uh, be more agile and adapt more their product and uh, the way they're going to sell to local communities, maybe more small units, maybe more a, a lot of um, um, uh, um, I mean, fab lab, uh, small uh, units of production that are going to be in the country and not that everything like in fashion is produced uh, uh, in Vietnam or in Ethiopia, then back in Europe or back in US, you know, all that kind of stuff that is, well, that is going to be impossible in the future because it's going to, to cost too much energy, too much um, pollution and so on. So I guess for me, and I think more and more people are willing to have things that are somehow like made for themselves, more craftsmanship, more uh, personalized item, more things like that. So for me, the future is more about that everything is a niche in the future. Hmm. Very interesting. And you already saw in this last uh, year where the world changed uh, a lot, how everybody was forced in a way to, to focus on regional Uh, because uh, the, the trading uh, was uh, interrupted. And uh, so you saw already that there is, that it's possible and that there is a lot of potential in every, every country in a way to, uh, to rise. Yeah, I think so. I think we, we had a time that uh, we were uh, just looking for the, the, the part in the world that was uh, having the lower prices for production. So we had been producing goods in China, then it was too expensive, then we went to Ethiopia, then it was too expensive, then we went to Vietnam. So we are always like changing, trying to change the country that have the, 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 the lowest price. But I think this is going to... Uh, It's not going to disappear in one day, of course. But I mean, little by little, we see that there is a kind of national uh, pride uh, feeling that is there, that people are ready to buy things that are made in their own country, that uh, a lot of industry are trying to relocalize, uh, trying to go back in the country, trying to bring back also jobs for the people that are there. Uh, so I think this movement of re-industrialization uh, in countries that has been doing the opposite for the last 20, 30 years. I think this movement is getting bigger and bigger. And like you said, with COVID-19, we just really could see it, you know, that we needed to have more things produced in our country, not only the food, but also kind of every kind of goods in general. Definitely. Definitely. It was a time where we all had to focus on uh, how we can do it ourselves in a way. Mm. 
for sure. Well, I just would like to go back to the beginning because at the beginning you said, uh, you talked about curiosity. And I feel also now talking about the jobs and the niche, all this is connected with curiosity. Have you also been or already been that curious uh, when you were younger? <laughs> like before you even realized in a way uh, where it could lead you? I think yes, but I think like everyone, um, I think I was a, curi a child very curious, but I think every child are very curious, everyone, you know. There is a time, I think it's around three years, that um, um, children are asking a lot of questions. You know, they, 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 they don't take anything for granted. So they ask, why is the sky blue? Why is the water transparent? You know, that kind of questions. In a way, they are um, uh, doing philosophy. They are asking sometimes very deep questions you know, about the meaning of life or things like that. And they are uh, with this uh, feeling of curiosity. And unfortunately, uh, little by little, there is uh, the education, the social pressure, um, the family sometimes that is trying to, um, um, I mean, um, make that curiosity, um, put it like a, a kind of a, trying to diminish it, you know. And so little by little, um, many uh, children that were curious started to be less curious because they are just asked to sit in a classroom, not to ask too many questions be silent, being respectful for the teacher and so on. But I guess that um, I never stop to be curious, you know. And, and I think curiosity for me is, is something that um, is, is a part of my life, is something that I need, like I need to drink water. So I need to bring in my brand some new stuff, a new people, new places, discovery. A good day for me is the day where I discover, I met, uh, discover something, I met somebody new or whatsoever, you know. And I think... Um, For me, curiosity should be a uh, part of our education because also it's when you keep on and when you are able to be curious all your life long, then it means that uh, you can adapt. You are more flexible. You are more ready to change because you are not afraid of change. So I think for me, curiosity should be part of an education. Definitely. I guess that's also since what you said before, we kind of all are put in this frame where there's not so much room for curiosity because they're like rules and it's a box where we have to fit in. Like believing in your own niche, finding your own niche is also very hard because you need to be curious for that. You need to be brave for that. And actually all your life you were told uh, better, just stick to the rules and just stick to the path. And that's uh, great. If you decide to follow the path of your niche, it means you're doing it the other way around, actually. Yeah, but uh, I think uh, for, for many of us that are like me, that uh, keep the curiosity when they were a child, I think in a, in a way I was not brave. I just didn't have the choice because I could not be able to live without curiosity. It's really a, a part of my DNA. So, uh, but I guess, like you said, yes, it, it's... it's uh, so. Just to say, I was not brave. I didn't have the choice. But I think for, for other people, maybe it's important to, uh, to say that, I mean, curiosity is some kind of skill that you always have. So maybe sometimes it's a bit, you need to dig a bit. You need to allow yourself to be curious again. But it's something that you can find back. I think it's Picasso that said that uh, it takes a kind of lifelong to go back to the state you had when you were a child. And in a way, when you are 
are a young child, you are very creative, you are very curious, um, you have that capacity of, you know, making drawings or paintings and, and asking questions. And these are the skills that are very precious. And it's true that, uh, like you said, the past, the narrow, uh, the narrow past, the boxes, the silo, like you have to decide the job you want to do in the future. But come on, I mean, we're all going to do a, a lot of different jobs in our life. We need to be um, able to adapt, to be flexible, not to be afraid of change. I think we need to be ready that things are not stable, that everything is moving all the time, that um, this is the way life is. Life is about movement. If you don't have movement, then you're just dead. Yeah, it's a still stand and you do not evolve, mm. actually. That's very true. Um, let's go a bit into detail of your work, because just to understand it even more clearly, what's your technique in a way to, to spot the trend? How can you explain this? Since yeah, so now you explain it and it's uh, official. <laughs> yeah, I can explain it. So the technique is, is, is based on curiosity and intuition. And then um, it's based... Uh, so the first step is uh, to uh, have a lot of different sources of information, so not just one. So it means uh, is to do desk research, but it's also to go in shops, to go in museums, to see um, uh, art exhibition, uh, to be interested in design, anthropology, sociology, to read newsletters, to travel, if it's possible when COVID uh, will allow <laughs> us to go back to travel. So it's to have a very large ecosystem where you find information. So first step is to be like a kind of satellite. So you get all this information. Then you need to filter. And this is where you have the kind of um, savoir-faire, I mean, expertise that come also with time, is that my eye is uh, used and trained to see weak signals in all those information. So some kind like some details that are a bit different than um, um, most of the time, you know. So I start to see those little details, those weak signals, and um, then I filter all that information. I keep all the weak signals, and then I start to ask questions. So the first step is curiosity, intuition. Intuition is your brain that is working in an unconscious way. So it's not nothing. It's a job that uh, our brain that are very smart and very powerful are doing, even if we are not aware of it, but we can listen to it. So I feed my brain with a lot of information. My brain is uh, kind of filtering all the information. And then I start to ask a lot of questions. What is this trend coming? Is it a new trend? Is it the con continuation of something that is already there? Uh, which kind of industry could be um, interested by that kind of direction? What does it mean? And so on and so on. And then depending on the uh, client request I have, uh, I will select uh, the trends that are relevant for me, for that client, for that question. So I could select long-term trend and sometimes also short-term trends because it depends on the business. Uh, but so the way to do that is a kind of being open-minded, get a lot of information, then filter it, then uh, 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 give the information to clients so they are able to act and to do things. So that's the way. Mm -hmm. I see. So how or when did you realize that you can make money with your niche, actually? Because this is a lot of, um, it's with curiosity, intuition, it's spending time on research. 
how do you how did you make your business model to 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 show the the clients that your work obviously is is valuable and a, a real uh, asset and a real advantage for their development so uh, I started to work in a in a trend forecasting office. So it, I was not freelancing uh, at the very beginning of my work life. So and I had been staying uh, in this trend forecasting office for about 12 years. And so I had uh, during that time the possibility to work with very uh, big international brands uh, in many different fields from uh, um, um, automotive to kitchen appliances uh, to soaps to home decoration, watches, bags, uh, uh, beauty, products, perfume, uh, uh, I don't know, a lot of all things. Industries. Yeah, <laughs> all kind of industries, food, tea, coffee, mm -hmm. um, yeah, sportswear, a lot of things. And so, um, and I realized that even if I'm an introvert, uh, which I am, <laughs> it was not difficult for me to speak with clients about a work that I was convinced was good. So I, I'm not a commercial, I'm not able to sell anything, but I'm able to be, um, I think, quite... Um, Yeah, to put a lot of energy into explaining things. And I have, um, I know that now uh, that I've doing that job for many years, I have a capacity of explaining in a simple way things that are complex. And so, um, and I discovered that in fact, very often at the end of my presentation, client, clients were happy because they say, wow, that's simple, we get it, we understand it, it's very clear. And so I um, I discovered that, in fact, I was able to do that. So little by little, I try, I started to have a bit more self-confidence, um, which is not yet at a very high level, <laughs> even at my age, with my level of expertise. I'm always still uh, questioning myself a lot. Um, so that was the way it came, you know. And, and after uh, being in an office for about 12 years, I decided, decided to quit, uh, to take more time because I had my first uh, child and I wanted to spend some time with her. So I decided to quit, but I keep on having a lot of job as a freelancer. And yeah, so that's the way it starts. And then you stayed in uh, this, uh, well, self-employed uh, yeah. uh, state, so you can organize. I see. And the trend forecasting office was in Paris? Yes, it was. But it was, I chose this one because it was an international one. Mm -hmm. Um, and that the clients were international. Uh, at that time, it was the most, uh, I would say, conceptual. Uh, the other trend forecasting were very much more on uh, helping clients to do um, fashion collection, like doing the shapes, all the details. And I was more interested into uh, things a bit more general, mm. more conceptual. Mm. And also, um, a large part of the team was coming from different countries. So I was speaking half of the time in English. I was traveling a lot. So the, it was more for me than being into a trend uh, office with only people speaking French. You know, no, no. you know that. <laughs> of course, it's always nice to, to mix and mingle a little bit. But uh, what you said before, I think, is very, very important about passion and about uh, with passion, having the ability to, to talk about a topic and to, to deliver the message in a way. And I think that's very beautiful and very, very important to state that if you're passionate about something, there is potential that you spark it uh, with somebody else and that uh, you are able to deliver your message the way you want it. So that's really, really nice. So um, what do you think, uh, 
when there is a, a young person now, you said it's very important for young people like to ex have the exchange with young people. It's also the young people that kind of will make the change. Um, how do you, what do you recommend uh, a young person when it's on its way uh, to, to find their niche, their, uh, their path, their purpose in life? How, sh how can we, because it's a bit complicated sometimes as a young uh, person to find uh, the way, Yeah, I think I, 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 I do quite a lot of, uh, I, I don't call me teacher. It's, it's a bit difficult for me to call me a teacher, but I, I share a lot with young souls uh, in different schools, uh, American and French, uh, uh, in business or more uh, art school in Paris. And what I always say to, um, to the people, the young people that I have the pleasure to share time with is, to try to be more open-minded, to try to be more curious, to try to find back this curiosity. And that um, will, that curiosity, it will, uh, um, it will enlarge their path. It will give them their, the opportunity to see maybe uh, a, a small uh, road on the left or a small road on the right. And maybe they will find something. So I say them, try to embrace your curiosity and try also to be okay with accepting serendipity. So sometimes... Um, things are not happening the way you want them to happen. It's not, it's, it, it's not exactly what you have in mind. The plan is not uh, happening exactly what you thought it would be. But try to be open-minded once again. And serendipity is very interesting because sometimes it brings you, like, you know, on a silver plate, it brings you something super interesting. If your mind is um, open enough, you will see it. And then you will be able to take that path and maybe to discover something you had not thought about it. And many scientific research or discovery had been made by uh, serendipity, like antibiotics, like the microwave, like the post-it, you know, a lot of things were made like that. But those scientists that were working on that, they were open-minded. So when something didn't happen the way they want, they thought, oh, wow, But what can I do with it? So I think for me, it's it's all about curiosity and and serendipity and being open-minded and and yeah and have confidence in yourself. Definitely, but I guess that's a very hard for some people having the like you said it before. Like confidence is is very important, and I don't know. Sometimes we lose it on the way uh, finding ourselves, and especially if something doesn't go the way we want it to go. We, we lose faith in ourselves. Yeah, I know that that's why I'm, I'm very, um, um, uh, I think it's very uh, important and very interesting that during um, the COVID-19, we had been loudly more and more speaking about mental health. And I think it's very important for people to understand that um, like you can train your body to be more fit or to have more muscles or to have whatever you want to have as a kind of muscle, but you can also uh, train your mind. So it means that um, it, it's, it's, it's interesting also to be aware that you have a lack of self-confidence and it's also interesting to work on that. And there are a lot of techniques and there are a lot of uh, methods, some that are very new because the discover that we are making that the science are, uh, is making on the brain, on our brain, is uh, like every day is, is bringing some kind of new uh, light on the way our brain is functioning. So I think it's important also to think that 
nothing is there to last. So even if you don't uh, have a lot of self-confidence, you can work on it and you can you can make it better. Like you can train yourself to yoga or to Pilates or to running outside and you will improve little by little. And it's the same for the mental health. Definitely, definitely. And I think now there is a lot of people are more open with this. It's It's even like... Because back, back in the days, it was also almost a taboo topic to say you don't feel well or you take care of yourself or you go to a therapist. Now it, it totally changed and it's kind of a long-term trend. What, what is aligned with what you said before, that a long-term trend is about the humans and their well-being and like in the long term, actually. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, um, what we see now is that it was already there before COVID-19, but it's even um, more visible uh, now, is that wellness is everywhere. It's all about wellness. Definitely. And I mean, there was this big wellness trend where it was, again, about the body, taking care of the body. But now we really talk about the mind taking exactly. care of our mind, of our soul, of our, our inside uh, well-being. And that's very interesting. Are you meditating? Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, you manage to do it like daily, like a daily routine? Yeah, uh, about daily, I would say five days a week. That's good. That's good. I started to try to to do meditation as well. And I think it's very difficult at the beginning because we are not used to like just sitting there, breathing, uh, listening to our body. It's a, it's a very, very new thing, but also very important. So I have to ask you this, and I guess everybody asks you this, but um, the future, how will we continue? Especially my generation, um, it's a generation that grew up with the old world in a way and is in the middle of the new world. Um, and it's, it's, it's complicated sometimes to, to find a way to, to see the new world that is very digital, very fast, where we uh, evolves all the time and still having like bit this uh, one foot in the, the, the world where we, uh, well, my, until I was 10, I had no phone and no, uh, no social media. It didn't exist. So I, I know both worlds. Yeah, I think we, we are at a point that, um, I mean, on, on, on a... What we have been doing, the way we have been living on Earth, um, we now know for sure that it's not, it's not a good way. We do use too many resources. We do waste too many things. We are producing goods that are useless. Not um, so. If we're not going to change quickly, um, we're going to bring the planet um, in a very um, in, the planet is not going to be a good place for us anymore. It doesn't mean that the planet is going uh, to stop existing. The planet will go on forever or for a long time. But we as a species, human beings, um, I mean, there are temperatures that um, our body uh, uh, is not able to accept. We're going to have a lot of problems with water. We're going to have a lot of problems with um uh, a migration of people that are trying to escape a natural disaster, uh, hunger and everything. So 
I think we are at a point that we need to move things very quickly. And the good news is that uh, the tipping point is quite low. So it means if more than 10% of us are, are changing our habits, it will move the rest of the people. So we know that um, uh, we need to stop eating meat um, which is if there is one thing we can do is that one. We know also that we need to stop taking a plane for um, spending two days in Barcelona or two days in Lisboa and then come back to Paris. This is not existing anymore. We need to slow down. We need to be more uh, respectful. We need to be more conscious of things. So I think we are all in that boat now. And we need everyone to make efforts. So it means citizens, uh, it means brands, it means states. And um, at the moment, the thing is that we have people that were warning us, like Greta Thunberg, uh, on an international level. In France, we have a lot of people like Cyril Dion, which are very active. We have Graines de Possible. We have a lot of things. But we need... We need we need to move in that direction. Otherwise, um, I mean, the, 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 the planet is going to move in a direction that is not going to be suitable anymore for us. So I, I think this is, this is the big point. So are we going to do something or are we not? And I think we have something like five, ten years. Yeah. To move. To move. Because otherwise uh, it's difficult because we already are at a certain point where we ex actually already accelerated, uh, exaggerated, uh, well, the resources in our planet. So I guess a lot of people are now in, maybe in this state of mind, like you need to, everybody needs to do something, but it doesn't move fast enough and it doesn't, uh, it doesn't bring the outcome that we would need um, in order for a real change. Yeah, right, because you have the, the old world uh, that is making money in, in, in the fast way, mm. you know, fast fashion, fast food, fast travel, fast mm. everything. And we need to go uh, to something uh, that is more about getting things done slower, in a slower, uh, in, a, in a much more um, um, conscious time with more... Uh, um, pose with, you know, it, it could be a degrowth, it could be also that, uh, yeah, because we are hurry up, but we are hurry up to go just, you know, directly into a wall. Yeah, without looking left or right. Yeah, so that's yeah. terrible. I think everybody's, or like a lot of people are aware of uh, what needs to be done, but since the the, the, the big system the, the is rooted in a capitalistic, uh, well, it's a capitalistic system, um, that needs to be changed in order to have a big impact. And you said it before, it's every citizen, but it's especially also politics and, uh, and, and states and like uh, changing uh, laws and changing... Yeah, and companies too. I think it's, it's, it's yeah. at, the, at three levels, you know, citizen, companies and states. Yeah, everybody needs to make an effort. Yeah, I think so. And I think they do. I mean, it, it starts, we are slowly... Ha seeing uh, seeing uh, changes, the question is just: is it uh, is it still in time? Yeah, this is we we will see in the future. We will see. Yeah, but uh, we will figure it out, and everybody just does their uh, part. Yeah, exact. Last question: um, How do you see your uh, well? Is is your your job still a niche? 
in the sense or do you already have uh, do you see a lot of competition a lot of uh, players uh, evolving and uh, yeah more and more people are doing trend forecasting because when I started to do that job there was not even uh, you know a school that was mm. proposing a um, um, to uh, train you to be a trend forecaster. Now you you have uh, different schools in in uh, in England, in Italy, uh, in different countries where you can learn that. You have a lot of also uh, trend company that are starting to have their own uh, trend academy online or things like that. So more and more people are doing this kind of job. But for me, um, I mean. It's cool. Um, I mean, that's nice. But what is important for me is that the trend forecaster are uh, of today and tomorrow are seeing their job not as uh, giving people the next um, uh, trend that is going to last six months, but really trying to um, uh, bring the people um, to bring them more aware of the change of the future, to try to help them to be ready for the big changes that are going to be done and that are going to be needed. So uh, I think I'm very happy to have a lot of trend forecasters much younger than me around me. That's super cool. And I think I'm just willing to have them all going into the good direction of helping to build a better future. Yeah, to have a better tomorrow. Mm. Great. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot to you. I hope you enjoyed our episode today. Stay tuned and I'll catch you next time with another episode of That's My Niche.